Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Signals the start of yet another edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Prepare for the crawling of the skin as we celebrate Creep Show this time around. I'm your host, Nikki Dakota. My extreme pleasure to be here live in the studio today with the nitrate film archivist extraordinaire from the Library of Congress, the inimitable George Willeman. George, welcome. <laughs> Also, here in the flesh, the crawling of flesh, the storyboard artist for the Cohen Brothers for 20 years and counting now, the one and only J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, welcome. My flesh is falling off, We celebrate. Nikki, <laughs> This is truly a uh, collection. <laughs> Unlike The Creep, indeed. The Creep Show, which is a 1982 film, actually a collection of short films, is why we gather here today. What do you today. call it, George? What's that called? It's, an, it's referred to as an omnibus film. I thought that really meant to, like, it was a kind of a bus. I actually thought that. that. Actually, it started, yes. I mean, the, the omnibus was uh, where we get the word bus from. Okay, okay. But it sort of was attached to, uh, a, a, you know, sort of a, a collection of stories. Something like diverse things. This is also things. A, it's very anthology. It's, it's an anthology, kind of like what the old television shows used to be, like Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. um, where they would have a different story every time. In this uh, motion picture here, they have... Uh, five uh, short vignettes. In but before, this but before we get started on the vignettes, we have to point out that this is not some arbitrary, made up on the spur of the moment notion about a film being perfect. No, no, no. Now this are, baby's graduated fact, perfection. That's what it is. <laughs> Absolute and uh, hard, cold parameters that this uh, must be met, must be uh, satisfied before it can qualify for a perfect film. And gentlemen, the rules. Well, first of all, these films create the world they exist in. Yes, and these films, uh, Show being today's selection, wholly sustains that world, no matter what. And regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment value. Yes, and at no one time are any of these films on George and I's list ever rated numerically greater than another. Never. They are all perfect in their own scale. Which strikes me as interesting that we should on this occasion be celebrating a collection of shorts that do come together and make a cohesive not, whole. Yeah, yeah, it's not really Halloween, but you know what? It is getting drive-in season. And this <laughs> this kind of, this little film always reminds me of drive-in stuff growing up because of the people that were involved in it, George Romero and uh, all these really fine. And the who was the effects guy in this, uh, George? Uh, Tom Savini worked Tom Savini did all the effects, and he was Mr. Creepo effect guy back in the 80s. Uh, he did all George Romero stuff, and he did Night of Living Dead, which we did last Halloween. Mm-hmm. And uh, This just reminds me of those good old drive-in days, although I don't think this movie was ever really a drive-in movie, but uh, 
Oh, I bet it was. I'm sure this, this had more than one outdoor screening. In it. I remember I, I just kind of missed the boat because I saw it in a you know, theater. I never got to see it in a drive-in. But this would be just the ultimate movie to see in a drive-in. Yeah. One of the ultimate movies. But it's more than just that because this, this film comes out of an interesting, an interesting past. Uh, both George Romero and, and I'm sure Stephen King especially growing up were uh, probably very, very heavily indoctrinated on uh, William M. Gaines' EC comics, such as Tales from the Crypt. and Which had and, some of the most extraordinary art back then right, in the covers. Like Jack and Davis. Some of the best artists you ever saw were in these books. Very controversial comic books, uh, not really comic books, but uh, the old graphic novel of its time. And it really upset a lot of parents with the... with the uh, com- It brought on the comic book code, and I think Mr. Gaines had to go to... Well, yes, he did. He, um, the- he ran afoul of a, a, a psychologist, uh, Dr. Frederick Wortham, who wrote a book called Sedu- Seduction of the Innocent. And Ooh. he put the thumb on on Gaines's comic books as corrupting minors. Oh, would that when, it would when be I, so easy. Yeah, when I was a kid in the 60s, there was always that comic book code approved. And I, that was there because of the EC comic tradition. Now, right. how did that fare as opposed to, I mean, in time relation to the uh, moving picture code? Was it like pretty that much all the same time? It. No, that predated yeah. the motion picture code by almost 20 years. Yeah. yeah. So the notion that, uh, okay, before all the, the, the hammers came down, there was a, a live and thriving genre. Of, and these uh, were for kids too. And it really <laughs> upset uh, uh, the authorities were really upset by what was possibly doing to kids and obviously these kids grew up and made this movie yeah <laughs> yeah so we a very did. affectionate look at horror so yes. were each of these actually co-written by george romero and stephen king was it a collaboration that i do not know actually i do know that uh, stephen king is given credit for the screenplay but it makes total sense to me that the two of them would have worked in some collaboration and they have in in other times also worked in some collaboration together um the stories are kind of unusual. The King kind of goes more for the EC flavor. They're not distinctively Stephen King stories. Yeah, and right now you have Sin. You know, last summer was Sin City and the Three Hundred. These are all depictions of what we call now, thanks to Frank Miller, graphic novels. But what these guys were trying to aim for was a movie version of these uh, these magazines, these EC Comics magazines that came out. So you're going to see some what really looks like dated material, but it's so classy because it's very tacky. And that's one of the reasons these movies are perfect, because they are within their own world of tackiness. They make no <laughs> pretension about being tacky here. No. They're, they're cool about this. We are tacky, and that's the way it is. Even some of the makeup's kind of goofy, but it doesn't matter because the, occasionally they'll fade to color which is in a magazine they'll give you the feel of those magazines this is 1982 and has all the, the big hairdos and the crazy you know synthesized music so yeah. actually one of the most frightening moments in the film is watching ed harris doing a disco dance in the first <laughs> sequence that's that's nearly terrifying it really is so this character, actually, who's sort of the the uh, is he called the Crypt Keeper through this, or is this no? Just they, they don't give him a name. He looks a lot like the Crypt Keeper, but of course that was still, that was the tel- post, belonged to EC post so. movie television when they did the television shows that we all the Crypt Keeper, right? Right, uh, that's from uh, Tales of the Crypt. Yes, and, and that's what people but they, they kind of hint at it here because this is the granddaddy here of of uh, of everything with a literal transcription of 
of comic books. I mean, this is what they're trying to emulate. It's not like Superman where it is. A, it's a movie version. This is they're trying to hold you in that comic book world. And it's you're actually really this. effective how, right. how it fades in and out of the comic land. Because yeah, as the story goes on, I mean, the film starts with a little a little precursor where a father is taking the creep show comic book away from his son. Rather, what are rather, fathers for? That's what he says. Yeah, and uh, and he um, and he throws it in the garbage. And then as the as the film begins, the comic book flies out of the garbage and comes open to the first story, and the first story comes to life. Yeah, that first story. Let's see. It kind of goes a little like uh, this. Fathers, and I got my cake. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> well, then that's followed up with this uh, delightful little dish. And just so you know, folks, he was drawing a bath. Yes, that was Stephen King himself. Yes. But if you stick around, you, you will you will watch this this little sweetheart that's in this motion picture. And probably the the high point in the movie, the story that I think the whole film was probably based around, the crate, which features the the lovely Adrian Barbo, Adrian Barbo, and uh, and Hal Holbrook. And here we go. Same old Henry, afraid of your own shadow. You know what, Henry? You're a regular barnyard exhibit. Sheep's eyes, chicken guts, piggy friends. No good at departmental politics. No good at making money. No good at making an impression on anybody. And no good at all in bed. And I swear to God, if you ever touch me... Oh, just... Just tell it to call you Billy. So you say you want a you want a little racial commentary concerning maybe the richest guy in the world and a few cockroaches thrown in there for good measure. How about this baby? Okay, who's there? Good evening, there, Mr. Pratt. Got bugs again, huh, Mr. Pratt? Don't you talk to me like that, you hear? What way, Mr. Pratt? Like I was crazy. Oh, no, sir, Mr. Bat, sir. I don't think you is crazy, not at all. I was just trying to run down in my mind who might have a 24-hour fumigating service. I might be able to get Pirelli Brothers out here by, shall we say, 11.30? You might go far, White. I've noticed that in service jobs, people like yourself often do. People of color. (laughs) 
Oh, oh buddy. That, let me tell you, that bigot, he and gets that, it. In the and that comes, yeah. I mean, this, that's a, a theme that runs through so much of, of Romero's films, all the way back to Night of the Living Dead, where he made the, the hero an African-American man. Mm. But yeah, he feels very strongly about that, obviously, because you know E.G. Marshall as Mr. Pratt definitely gets his comeuppance. Which, if you know his voice, you might be a fan of uh, theater drama, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was a kid. Yes. Well, I can't remember. Oh, the he name did. Of he that did series. a CBS Mystery Theater on the radio oh, at about eleven thirty every night, my. which was one of the last radio shows that you'll. Maybe they're doing it now, but uh, and at the end of this show, they wrap it all up with where they started. Where uh, the kid's father has got a pain in his neck and his back, and the the trash men have found a uh, an EC comic, and they notice that the voodoo doll section the voodoo is doll torn ad has been out. cut out. Yeah, because <laughs> so kids voodoo doll. Taking, he's getting even with his dad for taking the comic book away and mm-hmm. doing a little voodoo treatment on him. We're <laughs> talking about Creep Show on Filmically Perfect here on ninety one three WYSO, a movie that uh, has certainly stood up to the rules and stood the test of time. Some of the finest screaming. Ever to go <laughs> on, uh, my heavens. Hey, man, there's, I t- this is a uh, tour de force of actors from the 80s. Uh, Hal Holbrook's in this, and the lovely and enchanting Adrian uh, Barbeau. Man, I used Barbeau. to watch her every other week on The Love Boat. And Mr. Uh, History Channel himself, the voice, Fritz Weaver. And Leslie Nielsen, who's basically a clown now, but he plays a very serious, very sinister uh, character, very very bad man uh, who buries Ted Danson up to his neck in the, on the beach with all his bad hair, yeah. you know, head up in the sand, <laughs> all his bad hair, and Leslie Nielsen takes him out there. That's a really a lot of use of color in that one, George. Mm-hmm. Particularly is fond of when he goes underwater and he's drowning and all the color changes. <laughs> yeah, and then of course uh, the Vivica Linfors, who um, a lot of people would probably know from the original Stargate film as the woman who whose father originally discovered the Stargate. Uh-huh. But she is in Father's Day, the first story, and, and actually my favorite of all of them, where she uh, she murders her father on Father's Day. With an ashtray. With an ashtray, and then years later comes to visit his grave, and then he comes back to get his revenge. What's his cake, man? Wants his wants Father's <laughs> Day cake. And I'll tell you, one of the guys that steal the show in this picture is... None other than Stephen King himself. Oh yes, turning in just the performance of his lifetime. He's a great writer. There's no doubt about that. But he also does a fine, fine job of acting in this in this uh, this yeah, series the, of the story called "The Lonely Death of Jordy Verrill," where he's just this kind of bum guy who lives in this old rundown gas station. One night, this little meteorite lands in his front yard, and and he gets all these great ideas. He's going to make money off of it, but ends up uh, sort of poisoning the countryside and himself with this whatever's inside it that causes uh, uh, plants to grow wildly, including all over his body. <laughs> this is a very existential uh, vignette in this series here. They all have their 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 uh, own ideas on where they're going, but this one's very existential with all the... He finally just kills himself because he can't... He's overwhelmed by all this green moss. Oh, the green moss growing all over him. Yeah, it's, this is so George Romero, this this stuff here. It's just, it just lends itself perfectly. And he has little flashbacks with these little cheap vignettes around them, like comic book. Yeah. And this was really well-received at the time, wasn't it? I, I think it was, yes. People loved it. I remember we all... I, we, we, used to, we went and saw it, and it was just... It was really, really a lot of fun. Well, and, and it's astonishing to me because it was done, again, basically independently of a studio. You know, Romero and uh, Romero was not fond of working with studios. In fact, to this day, he's not fond of working with studios. And this was, was distributed by United Film Distributors, the same company that put out Dawn of the Dead. And the film was probably made for a tiny budget. 
Um, I don't even know if it was actually shot on 35. We're kind of looking like at it. It looks like it's almost uh, it might be very much like 16 or super, millimeter. Or super 16. Yeah, it's it's very... But it, the lighting in it's really great. And it's really within its scale, it's, uh, as we say, a perfect movie. Yeah. And not too many people ever did this sort of movie where they had five little movies crammed into one. It was, uh, and it's it, been done, but it's never always, it's not always very successful because there's usually like one good story and the others are just kind of, right. Filler go. for the rest. But and they don't have any intros on any of them. They just slam right into these. Right. And it's just pure cinematic, uh, verb bunder, man. They just bang <laughs> right into these things. They don't give you a chance to breathe. You can let you laugh a little bit and you're into the next one. So this is all a tip of the hat back to, EC Comics, by the way, which is different from DC Comics, Correct. in case people aren't picking up on that nuance. Now, the writer, the most famous writer for the EC series, say his name again? Oh, there were lots of them. Uh, the man who was in charge of the company, William Gaines. Who's Mad who's also Magazine. The, yeah, also the founder of Mad Magazine. Oh! And the EC Comics was his company, and they did all these, they did, I mean, they did not only horror comics, they also did sci-fi comics and war comics and, and psychology comics, and, and they did Mad Magazine. And then when he ran afoul of Dr. Wortham, and they had to kind of drop the – I mean he dropped the the, the, uh, the horror comics. Yeah. The horror comics were gone. And what he did to save Mad Magazine basically – Mad was also a comic book, color comic book. And to save it from Dr. Wortham, he basically turned it into a magazine because a magazine did not fall under the comics code. So he made it into – Comics are for kids. You know? Right. Yeah. That's, why, that's kids. why Mad Magazine is black and white now. It's like and a black and white magazine. And one thing that, that is that to be Dr. noted Wortham. of Mr. Gaines and his affiliation with the magazine is known as Mad and all those great writers and artists, which I still idolize to this day, Jack Davis and Mort Drucker and those boys, there was no advertising in these magazines. There Except was, for the magazines themselves. <laughs> There would be a coupon you could order the magazine. So you didn't even have yeah. to, you know, write off and learn to be a ventriloquist and all that kind of stuff in the back that I used to so enjoy. Yeah. Well, I don't think that that was not in Mad Magazine. That was in a regular comic book, but not, right. never in Mad. They had the trifold thing at the back. Right. right. And the they would have ad movie. parodies. They would have ad parodies. I was just curious if anybody from that era that made these comic books lived to see this movie. And I guess probably. Oh, Gaines, the, Gaines, Gaines was alive did. when this happened. I wondered happened. if he yeah, liked it. I believe. It. Right. I did. I, yeah, Gaines was still alive. I, I, he must have been affected by it because shortly er, after, shortly thereafter, the uh, they resurrected uh, Tales from the Crypt for television. Yeah. Uh, was it and, a series on HBO, I think, yeah, for a while? And that, and that was licensed directly from, from Gaines because he still, I mean, he the may spirit, have given him up, but he didn't get rid of him. William Gaines' spirit is just riveted all through these these movies here. And mm-hmm. just, just to show you what kind of guy William F. Gaines is, when they brought out the UPC code, is that what it's called? With the yeah, little, little barcode. He, 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 you had to have that on everything. Right. William Gaines made that the whole size of a cover on Mad Magazine, so you couldn't <laughs> run it through the scanner. Or the right. That was the kind of guy he was. He was totally anti-advertising, right. against pretension. Uh, and for years, whenever the UPC would appear on the cover, there'd be some smart, smart little comment buy it about you know what it was it was a picture of twiggy's wardrobe or something like that <laughs> when you when you go back to the ec comics they're very seriously dark and they are just fascinating stories and like i said before the artwork is absolutely stupendous on those old comics and, and they are grisly to the point of ridiculous they are ridiculous they really are grisly. there's no doubt about it these uh this creep show movie is ridiculous i mean we love it every second every it. ridiculous second yeah. we are talking about creep show on filmically perfect on 91.3 wyso now certainly creates the world for rule number one 
no question about that. Sustains it. You're right there with it. Edge of your seat, ready to uh, scream. And, keeps you going. Uh, yeah. Keeps going. Uh, and how about uh, how about Rule Three? Uh, despite changes, now now we already said that it's got all that that '80s bad hair and a lot of that techno. I just think it is. Synth. It's just another evolution of the EC comic right. genre. Because, I think it's just it's a natural. Yeah. There'll be another one soon, but this is. That uh, easy comic the, um, thing growing. Yeah, the it? easy comics, when you see like the original Tales from the Crypt, the stories are very rooted in the 50s. I mean, the style of drawing is very 50s. The characters look like very 50s. And many of them are very contemporary stories. And this just follows that. It's contemporary to the 80s. But, you know, because it is rooted in that, because it's such a, a fantastical film, I think it, it carries on with that. And and actually, maybe that hasn't taken away from its entertainment value. They may actually add to it because now it's becoming sort of a a, um, a, a look back. Yeah, at the, what the '80s were like. Yeah, too. I mean, you can look back and you kind of, hey, that was pretty fun. Yeah, remember, <laughs> look at Ted Dance's hair, man. Hey, yeah, man. Look at Ed Harris trying to dance, a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> this has to be one of the more. Uh, I mean, he took on some meaty, meaty roles after this, so this had to be one of his early. I think this is this before his Cheers uh, thing, somewhere around in that time. He was being a Ted. I was thinking. I was Ted actually Dancer. thinking of Ed Harris. Yeah, yeah. Ed, Ed Harris. Also. I, I think that Ed Harris was. This was one of his very first ones because right after this. He was given a starring role in like Romero's next movie, Night Riders, which is about oh. the, uh, the knights who ride motorcycles, which is a pretty good film, also. On the list, and then he, he goes. Eh, I don't think it's on the list, but this is even. It goes right on up from there, you know, because well, I, in '83 he did the right stuff. Oh right, so, yeah. yeah. Right so on. actually, Night Riders. This is even course. further reinforcement of what what George Romero is to movies. I mean, he's he's a. a just a raw, he's a firebrand, bare-fisted kind of guy who's going to make movies the way he wants to make them, and they always have his stamp. It's an indelible stamp of George Romero, and I always thrill every time I see his movies because he just puts his heart and soul in these things. Mm-hmm. All the way back to the Night in the Living Dead, there's something about what he does that just gives him his own stamp on all this stuff. And you find that the only time his films really don't work is when he doesn't get to do them the way he wants to. When somebody's behind him trying to pull strings, and and he gets you know he gets upset about that, I guess he's very independent. So because this was a low budget and basically all within his control, this was all That's him. Right. But what's an example of when somebody got behind him and oh, tried to, to pull some pull some uh, strings? Maybe the most recent movie I think uh, that big budget movie that he just finished uh, came out. What like Land years. of the Dead? Yes, yeah, so whatever the most recent that one. one, and maybe Monkey Shines. Anything he's trying uh, to do for a studio. Which was another collaboration of, with Stephen King. So this was the. I don't think Monkey Shines was. Oh, all right. I was thinking that was a Stephen King novel. But uh, what's the uh, Dawn of the Dead? Which yeah, is, Dawn of the Dead. Which is a real cynical look at all humanity, even though it's a zombie it's picture. A lot of that cynicism is just kind of ripping through these five stories. Yeah, very much. <laughs> It's filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. We are celebrating the perfect nature of vignettes coming together, all bound by a barely skin skeleton uh, that would later become known as the Crypt Keeper. Uh, Out in 1982 and certainly has uh, created, sustained the world and uh, had relevance with us too. It's got five different worlds. You can still buy uh, Crypt Keeper type looking uh, costumes for Halloween. Oh, this movie uh, and the resurgence, well, not really a resurgence, you just couldn't keep EC Comics down no matter what you did. No, they they reappeared. A, A publisher out in the Midwest West, way out in the Midwest, actually got the rights to them from Gaines and reissued a lot of the EC comics in the late 80s 
uh, in really and beautiful. They, they fancy had their versions. own kind of look about mm-hmm. them. They they kind of called out to you, pick this baby up and read it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we want to creep you out. And you're just surrendering. Yes, yes, I want to be creeped out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the music that uh, winds its way <laughs> and threads throughout. You know, one of the best parts of the music in this movie is uh, in the Stephen King section there's this great music from all these horror films and yeah the, the it, library music isn't it George? it's very unusual for the most of the four stories there's actually was a score written for it and you heard a little bit of that at the very beginning um and it's a very inexpensive score you know in keeping with the sort of low budget nature it's mostly uh uh synthesizer mm. but for whatever reason in the Jordy verrill story they went back to like they did the music in night of the living dead and went to a a library a pre-recorded library and pulled out these wonderful old uh, weird pieces of music probably written in the 50s to, to back that one up. And it gives it's it a so really... good. <laughs> Just watching Stephen King run around with right. all that green stuff that, all over. In fact, that story of, of the five, that one is probably truest to the look and feel of the of the EC comic. Yes. It really the looks color like and the, the 50s garish style. lighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you watch Men in Black, I can't... I don't know if this is true, but it's sure... That scene... Uh, in Men in Black sure looks like this section of uh, Creepshow. Yeah. Uh, well, it also has a lot to get sort of like the blob, you know, I mean. The, the blob. The, a lot of call it garish color in mm-hmm. that. So it's almost nice that they were definitely paying tribute to the, all, oh, all the horror that homage. delivered them to this moment. Pure <laughs> homage. And we loved every minute of it. I just... I just think that this is this is the way these drive-in movies should be, you know. Take no prisoners. That's the way they do it. And know? and the one great thing about the movie is that everybody looks like they're having a really good time. They when do. They made it. I mean, it's these people, most of whom at this point in their careers were kind of had been shoveled into TV movies, a lot of them, or, or were beginning like sitcom careers. Or Adriana, to- Adriana Bourbeau. She was the big scream queen. She was in mm-hmm. all those uh, Swamp Thing movies. And the woman was just something else. Fog. Guys would just, oh, she's in it, man. Let's go watch her. Yeah. She was just the hottest ticket. And she the- was. And she kind of dropped off the face of, uh, of the sort of uh, celebrity consciousness. I'm not quite sure when. She but doesn't miss don't- a beat in this thing, too. She just shows you what acting's all about. Well, yeah. She gets to have a lot of fun because her character is so horrible. I mean, she's really <laughs> oh, just a heritage. She goes really completely nasty. away from what she usually plays. Where yeah. she's the the luscious, the push up, put on, desirable in every way, chalk, you know, fingers totally down the young. chalkboard kind of person. <sighs> but also people like Hal Holbrook, who is known for like Mark Twain tonight, and yeah, respectable, sure. you know, and he gets to do all sorts of horrible things. <laughs> she just, and you know, Leslie <laughs> Nielsen, who like we said, you know, does mostly clownish stuff now, and he gets to grind, you know, grind oh, he's the chalkboard just, a bit. just yeah, he's rotten. And then. Uh, you know, the garbage man in this movie is the makeup guy. His name is Tom Savini. He's from Pittsburgh. And uh, he was just the biggest thing in effects back uh, in the 80s. He was the man yeah. to go to when you did. And, I- and some of the effects, especially during the crate, uh, some of the, the gore effects in that are still put you on edge. They really do. We're talking some 25 Yeah, years the creature is really, really good in that thing, man. Still to this day. And he, he even mugs for the camera once when he's devouring Adriana Borbo yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> And all of this tied together with pages from the comic books. It certainly has a continuity and uh, relevance to this day. I, uh, I'm not sure if I'd let my kids watch it. Maybe a couple more years on the old age stick, and uh, and uh, I'm just worried a little bit about They'll just nightmares. defy you and watch it without <laughs> know. you knowing it. I've got all these movies in the house. They'll figure out how to put it in the DVD player. Mm-hmm. But perfect in every way. That's uh, why we come together here. On we still think it's a load perfect. of fun. We still like to be creeped out by it. Did you watch this the first time and recognize it to be 
be perfect, or was it over the the course of time that you realized? I, I absolutely adored it the first we time did. I saw it. It was. It's I can't. I don't even think that George and I maybe have seen it in the theater together back when we were in college because we were just ripped by it. You know, yeah. it was just yes. <laughs> you know, it was always you know the big stinger. This is what we love. You know, right. this tacky stinger. I want my cake. I mean, he takes I, I, uh, Borbo, you know. It's, just, it's always perfectly right. balanced. It's just great. And it just totally goes off the rails at that point. You know, the <laughs> yeah. lights come up and the colors go crazy and, you know, and things start spinning. It's like one of those cheap little fun houses you go but, to yeah. at a carnival. You know? Skeleton drops down in yeah. front of you. Yeah. Skeleton up! <laughs> <laughs> Too much fun. Too much fun. Perfect in every way. It is uh, coming up on uh, the end of our time together, but what a great time it's been celebrating uh, an homage to horror, past, present, and future. I think people will be watching this years to come. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Nikki Dakota, your host. We do this every Friday. Come to our website at perfectmovie.net and uh, tell us what you think about this show. We would oh. love to hear it. Or write to us. Uh, give us some email at filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Again, that's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. George Williman, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> As always, J. Todd Anderson, thanks so much for you being here. See you next week. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.